Good morning. Let's pray. Holy Spirit. Lord, we invite you to come into this message as you have been in this worship time. Just pray that you would, would use this word as an opportunity to speak directly to the hearts of people. Father, bypass their minds and let this word go directly to their heart. For as I have been praying these many Sundays, that let this be a word of revelation, not just information. So we offer it all up to you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's one subject that I have never really liked talking about. It's nothing to do with theology. It's life insurance. <laughs> Part of it, I think, is that there's a number of opposing viewpoints when it comes to life insurance. You know, like what type should you have? Should it be term? Should it be whole life? And, you know, you listen to the proponents of each one and they can make a very compelling case for that particular type of life insurance. And, like, well, I don't, still don't know what to do because it all sort of makes some sense. And I can see wisdom in both points of view. Um, but I think probably, ultimately, the issue that I have in talking about life insurance is that you're essentially talking about your ultimate demise. Right? <laughs> yeah, but I'm just not quite ready yet. Um, so, so, you know, so this, this conversation about life insurance sort of forces you to sort of think about your own mortality. And then on top of that, <laughs> you have to make a decision about who's going to come rolling in dough once you die, right? Who's going to benefit from your death? And, you know, for those of you that may not be familiar with life insurance, um, the policy contract structured in such a way that you pay money into it in small increments while you're alive so that there is a large payout at the end when you die. And that is called a death benefit. So... You die, you cease to exist, and your loved ones get money. What a deal. Yeah. Not. <laughs> All right, if I suddenly get sick, you know who to look at. <laughs> but, what if I told you that there was a way that you could die and enjoy the death benefits yourself. Would you be interested? 
<laughs> it's free. Now the difference, which you may have already guessed, is in the realm in which you die. Now we're going to look at this again because I think this is an important graphic, and we'll probably look at it, look at it, look at it, look at it. We're talking about this for the last couple of weeks, and as we've said, that line down the middle is kind of a dividing line, and above the line, which we may refer to, to above the line, is the e eternal and unseen reality. Okay, the spirit world. We could call it heaven if you want. Uh, if that makes it a little bit easier to understand. But you can see the characteristics of it uh, up in the corners. It's the spirit realm. It's where there is wholeness and completeness. Uh, it is the ultimate reality. It doesn't change. It's timeless. Those are all the characteristics of the above-the-line realm. Okay, That's the realm that we are asking in the prayer that Jesus gave us where we say on earth, on the temporal seen realm, as it is in heaven. And we're, that's the above the line reality. So what we're saying when we pray like that, as Jesus taught us, is Lord, let your will be done here just as it is up there. Bring the characteristics of that down to here. Now below the line is, is the realm that you and I inhabit in a physical sense. Right, the scene, the temporal realm. Um, it's always in process. There's always need. Um, it's time-based, right? There's no time in the eternal, but there's time down here. You know, we are all worried about it. Uh, it changes. We're all always concerned about appearances, things like that. So, okay, so those are the two realms. Now, last week, we saw what we could refer to as the double cross. That is not it. And really what the double cross refers to is the idea that not only did Christ die for us, but we also died with him. All right? And so the point of that was we have got to know that our old man was crucified on the cross because the old man is the source of most of the problems that we experience in this realm. It's that old, unregenerate spirit that we inherit from Adam, and it's by nature sinful. It was an enemy of God from the very beginning. It was separated from God, and it's without the life of God for which man was originally created. And so from that old man flowed sin and hatred and this sense of separation from God and one another, and there was also death in the mixture. And so God's ultimate choice was to restore humanity, and so in order to do that, that old man had to die. And because of his kindness and his goodness, God accomplished that for us in the cross of Jesus. Now this week what I want to do is I want to detail some of the benefits of the fact that our old man has died. What I would refer to as above-the-line death benefits. But before I do that, and 
I need to keep pounding away at this because I'll guarantee you we don't all get this. We all died with Christ, okay? And we've got to understand that. Paul did what I'm doing. He kept banging away at it in various texts. For example, in 2 Corinthians, he says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. In Colossians 3.3, it says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Romans 7.4 Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order <coughs> that we may bear fruit for God. And then finally, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? That was a scripture that we talked about last week. Remember we, we said that idea of being baptized, you could replace it with the word immerse. We have been immersed into his death. That's really what the original Greek said. Okay, And if you really think about it, isn't that incredible? It's, it's something you really can't process through your brain. Because when Jesus died, we all died. Because we were all in him. That's not a statement that you can make in the seen and temporal realm. The only realm in which that can happen is that above the line realm where there isn't any time where everything is right now. And what we see as past, as present, or as future is simply now. And that all died in Christ is an unseen and eternal reality. It's really no different like when Adam sinned, we all sinned. Right? The same idea. Now, this is a part that I am going to beseech you to listen to very closely. Because what I'm about to say next is, is how some of you think about this subject when I talk about it or when you read it. And I'm telling you right now, it needs to stop. And it needs to stop today. All right? So listen to what I'm about to say. Some of you are thinking, well, you know, that's easy to say, all died. That means all of you. Because I know me too well. It didn't happen for me. I know that I'm not dead yet. See, that's the trap that we all can fall into. This whole idea is, well, it's true for you, but it's not true for me. But there's a simple truth here, and that's the fact that all means all. Okay, That's not really hard 
I don't think, to get your mind wrapped around. And the beautiful thing about this is that when God says all, it doesn't matter what you think about what he said. He said all. That means all. And the thing is, that even if we never actually see that we have died spiritually until we die physically, and then we look back and we finally do see that the old really was dead, it doesn't change the reality that you were dead while you were here. All means all. See, God, God knows this, and he already sees you differently than you see yourself. And so what's happening is we're inflicting punishment and guilt and condemnation upon ourselves day after day, episode after episode, for things about us that he isn't even seeing. Do you hear me? I don't mean to say that God is blind. He just doesn't see us that way because we're not that way to him any longer. Paul said this in uh, 2 Corinthians. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things, all things, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus. That's good news. See, what a lot of us are trying to do is we're trying to get rid of the old and we're trying to make the new come. That's another trap. In the unseen and the eternal, what Paul is telling us is that when Jesus died, you were in him and you died too. The old spirit is gone, the new spirit has come, and you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. But maybe you're still not convinced. Maybe now you might be thinking something like this. Well, Okay, Jeff, I know that's my position in Christ, but it's not my condition. Which means to me is what you're telling me is, well, I know in my head that what you're telling me is true, but it's not my experience. I don't see it. I don't feel it. To which I would then say, Remember the line. Below the line, things are temporal. Above the line, things are eternal. And the above the line truth is the greater truth. So your position really is your true condition. In your spirit, you did die with Christ. You were raised with him. You are holy and righteous and blameless. You may never evidence it in the scene and temporal. But God says you died, 
He says you were buried, he says you were raised, and he says you are seated in the heavenlies. The question that you've got to ask and then answer for yourself is this. When am I going to finally agree that that's true? What am I going to agree to? What God says or what I say? And if you're not willing to believe what God says, then aren't you elevating yourself to his level? You're making yourself your own idol. You're in a sense saying that this unbelievable sacrifice that Christ made on the cross was for everyone except you. And that's just nothing but a very perverse form of pride. You have elevated yourself to the point that you don't even think Jesus died for you. You've got to be able to recognize that in the unseen and the eternal, the realm of the Spirit, you're dead. And see, when the Holy Spirit finally turns this light on, and you go, oh, now I get it. I understand. At that moment, you have become God's free person. You can stop wrestling with the flesh. You can stop trying to make it do the things that it never could do in the first place. You free yourself to be an expression of the indwelling Jesus that is in you. You are an expression of Jesus in your own unique humanity. Every one of us. An individual unique expression of Jesus. Isn't that cool? I think that is so cool to think about. So we started out talking, or I mentioned this idea of death benefits. And so what are these benefits uh, that we get when we finally kind of see that we have, in fact, died with Christ? All right, the first thing that we died to is sin. Now remember, there's, we made a difference between sins, plural, and sin, singular. Right? Sins are acts of unrighteousness, but sin, singular, is the power that produces those acts of unrighteousness. Okay? And so, in the last part of Romans 5, Paul talks about the riches of God's grace. But the apostle knew that as some people listened to this teaching on grace, what they were going to hear was license. In other words, I have a license to do whatever I want to do. When the flesh hears pure grace teaching, what it hears is license. Okay. That's wonderful news. I can do whatever I want, and there'll be plenty of grace just to cover it up, and so it's a beautiful thing. So your spirit's praising God for his grace, and your fresh flesh is going, I hear license. Party's on. 
But the cool thing about Paul, and I imagine the Holy Spirit that inspired Paul, was that he knew that people were going to hear that and then make the conclusion, oh, I can do whatever I want and get away with it. I can do all the sinning I want to do because I've got the grace of God to draw on and I'll get all the forgiveness I want. Well, that actually is true. Excuse me for taking the grace of God that far, but that's true. If you are really a born-again person, you can do whatever you want because God never sees what you used to be. He sees who you are now in Christ. But we have to pay attention to what Paul said afterwards. He responded, God forbid that that would be your conclusion. It's a truth, but God forbid that you would conclude that. Let's just see he said in his own words in Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? And then Paul immediately taught what we covered last week, that our union with Christ in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection. Because we died with Christ, we're dead to sin. We no longer, it, it no longer has any power over us. A little bit further down in that, in that sixth chapter of Romans, Paul says this, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is free from sin. I think we've probably all, at one time or another, seen people who kind of take advantage of this wonderful grace, and they just kind of continue on in their sinful ways. And then there's another side of that. There are people who are sort of fearful of the full grace of God. And I think they don't know something. What they don't know is that they have actually died to sin. They know that they've been forgiven of sins. But they don't yet know they've died to it. That's what the blood side, the blood side of the cross, which we talked about last week, deals with sins, these actions and attitudes that break the law of God. But the body side of the cross deals with sin, whose source was the old man that we talked about earlier, the nature that we inherited from Adam, that was the point of origin of sins. And so God's solution to the dilemma was to become what our problem was. See, the problem wasn't our humanity. It wasn't our environment. It wasn't our parents or the school we went to or which side of the tracks we grew up on or what we have or don't have. Our problem has always been a spiritual problem, and that is sin. And so Jesus came, and he didn't just identify with the problem. He became the problem. 
2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. It was a radical cure. Jesus became sin and then joined our old man to himself. And that old man died with him. And when our old man died, sin was eradicated from our inmost being. We died to sin. But if I've died to sin, why am I still tempted to sin? Why do I have this pull within me to sin? Well, Paul talked about that too. A little further on in Romans 7, he says something along the lines of that though sin has been removed from our deepest inner being, it has not been eradicated from our body, our members, as Paul puts it. So we can still be pulled by the power of sin that dwells in our body, but not in our spirit. Now that's, and that's why it's so crucial to understand that our old man was crucified with Christ and that we died from sin. That's a spirit-level truth. Okay, Because if we start to live by the thoughts and the feelings that we have, we feel sin's temptation and we think that's the real us. It feels as if the real us wants to sin. So we conclude that there must still be something wrong with us. And if you wanted to put it in more theological terms, it feels kind of like we have two natures now. We have this Old, the old man's still there, but we got this new man who's in there too. And the outward appearance really just kind of seems to verify that. The only thing that doesn't agree with that whole line of thinking is what God says. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is free from sin. That's what God says. Once again, who are you going to believe? Now the blood side of the cross labels us as forgiven, and the body side of the cross labels us as the righteousness of God. You are the righteousness of God. You're not just forgiven, you're now perfect and complete. In the unseen and eternal realm, above the line, you're a finished product. And as we learn to live from that truth, the truth of what has really happened to us in our spirit, when we actually begin, well, we will actually then begin to witness externally what God has done internally. And at that point, we have a total victory.
Now, the second thing that we died to was the law. Well, that's the third thing. Now, the church drowns in confusion, I think, over this issue of the law. And it really has probably misunderstood it since uh, the first century. And Paul wrote the epistle to the Galatians, a letter to the Galatians, trying to set the record straight. Okay? But the church still has managed to remain confused in the midst of all this. Scriptures appear to be fairly clear to me on this. In exactly the same way that Paul said in Romans 6 that we died to sin, in Romans 7 he says that we died to the law. Let me read it to you. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Sin no longer has any power over us, and neither does the law. We've died to both. Now, why, why would God do that? Why, why did God feel the need to crucify us to the law? Seems like having those rules might be a good thing. Well, because although the law is holy and righteous and good, it's fulfilled its function. Remember, the law was given so that it might reveal sin and lead us to Jesus. That was the purpose of the law. And so therefore, the law has essentially become a tutor that leads us to Christ so that we may then be justified by faith. And now that that faith has come, we don't need a tutor any longer. And part of the problem is that the law sets a standard just by its nature that we automatically try to live up to. And see, the moment we do that, the moment we start trying to live up to it, we're living according to the flesh, we're living according to our own self-effort rather than by faith, trusting in the life of Jesus that's in us. That's exactly what Paul got on the Galatians about. In fairly strong terms, he said, You foolish Galatians! Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He's like saying, come on, don't go backwards. God had to crucify us to the law because as long as we were married to it, we were obligated to try and keep it on our own, and we were always going to fail. And so, having been crucified to it, we are free to allow the Christ in us to express his life through us. It's not us trying. It's us resting in him.
as he produces righteous fruit through us. And the third thing that we die to is ourselves as our own point of reference. Once again in Galatians, Paul said this, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's pretty much impossible that if a person knows their union with Jesus and they're living out of that union, if they don't already know that they've died with Christ. So if you think that the old you, the old nature, is still alive, then you are still your own point of reference. And if I'm still my own point of reference, I'm still trying to fix me, right? I'm trying to correct me, I'm trying to straighten myself up, to make something out of me, to do something that will change me. And as long as my emphasis is on me, it can't be upon the Christ that is in me. So I'm a divided person. Now, I can still live in the Romans 7 trap that Paul wrote about and that we're generally all pretty familiar with where he says, well, what I want to do, I don't do, but what I don't want to do, I do do. I've kind of had enough of that, haven't you? I really want to be out of that. And what Paul is trying to tell us in Romans 6 and then again in 2 Corinthians 5 is that we are out of that. When Paul poses the question, he says, shall we continue in sin just to prove the reality of grace? He's concluding that people who go on living like that really don't know that they've died in Christ. In other words, their point of reference has not changed. Their point of reference is still themselves. And they think they're no good because they still want to sin. Consequently, they're excited about all the grace of God that they can kind of keep drawing on. It's like, well, at least I got that. And Paul would say, well, yeah, you can keep drawing on the grace of God for everything you do, for every sin you ever commit, but why would you want to do that? Why not instead draw on the life of God that is within you? And so until we know that we've died, we're never going to be free of ourselves. And we're never going to experience that union with Jesus. We're still going to be our own worst problem. The spotlight still shines very brightly on us. And that's where most Christians are living their life, quite frankly. This idea that I've got to produce for God. I've got to be good. I've got to be better at this. I've got to read my Bible more. I've got to pray more. You know, it's all of that kind of stuff. And by themselves, you know, please don't hear that I'm saying those are, ne those are bad or that they are not necessary. They are. They're good. 
but we shouldn't be doing them out of this sense of obligation that unless we do these things that somehow then God's going to smite us that day, right? Because I think that's the, that's the, it's the sort of Damocles that hangs over all of our heads until we get this. Now next week we're going to look at this other side of the cross, this what it means to be raised with him. But I'm going to turn this off now. There was more. But that's not where God's led me. I was out riding my bike yesterday. My, I have two bikes. I have a... Um, I praise this. One that meets uh, physical needs and one that meets mental needs. The one that meets mental needs has a motor. So I was on the physical needs bike that has me as its motor. And um, I used to listen to music when I ride, when I rode. And I had a way to do that, but anymore, um, it's just too darn dangerous. I, I need to hear what's coming up behind me even though I have a little mirror. Um, but the other thing is that it really allows me to kind of listen to God. And it's, it's a, a, an opportunity I have found that God will talk to me when I'm out there just by myself. Um, and so yesterday he started talking to me about this, this whole subject. And... Um, What I want to say is this. I'm not here yet. Okay? One of the things that I told myself years ago was that I would, I, I would never knowingly ever say anything that wasn't true and that I would always be honest about where I am regardless of what the teaching is. Okay? I'm not to this point yet. But what the Holy Spirit reminded me of yesterday was something that he spoke to John Wimber about years and years ago. Because, and once again, John was really sort of the, uh, the founder of the Vineyard Movement of which we're a part. So he's kind of our, our spiritual grandfather if you want to look at it that way. And John had been preaching for months on the subject of healing. And they had been practicing healing. They had healing times at the end of their service. And as John writes in, in one of his books, he says, not only were people not getting healed, but the people who were doing the praying were getting sick. And so this was not working. And he finally went to the Lord and he says, God, will you please let me stop preaching on this? This is stupid. Now, you have to understand, John talked to God like he would talk to anybody else, and that's part of his, his charm, is that he never pulled punches. If you ever saw the movie The Apostle, starring Robert Duvall, and there was a scene in The Apostle where um, he's up in his room and he's just having it, having it out with the Lord. 
and his mom, who's downstairs, gets a phone call from a neighbor who is, is, is hearing all of this commotion and can't sleep. And her response was priceless. She goes, well, that's my son, and sometimes he talks to God, and sometimes he yells, and tonight he's a yelling. <laughs> so anyway, John, John spoke very bluntly, and he, and he said, God, this is stupid. We're praying for healing and nobody's getting better and, and people are getting sick because they're praying for healing. Can I please stop this and, and preach on anything else other than healing? And the Lord spoke to him and he said, John, preach my word. Don't preach your own experience or lack thereof. And so I come before you today and I am preaching God's word. This word has life to it, okay? There's an incredible life in this. And I, I, I can sense it. I mean, I know this to be true. And I have no problem whatsoever putting this out there. And I hope that sort of maybe we all come to this conclusion together. Maybe... One Sunday, we're going to have this one giant glorious aha moment where all together we're like, oh, that's it. I get that I'm dead. I'm really dead. I understand now. I'm closer than I was, okay? But I'm not there yet. And I, want, I, I felt like I had to say that. Because I don't want you looking at me like someone who's got it all together, who's got it all figured out, and who, who understands, who knows, you know, this from experience. I, I wish I could say that I did. But I don't. And so this series is as much for me as it is for all of you. And if you have questions about anything that I'm saying, I welcome, I welcome them. I can't say that I will be able to answer them right away, but I will do what I can to get back to you and with some sort of an answer. But I just felt like it was important to um, to be straight, to not you know to not have you think that I was somehow up here claiming to be something that uh, that I'm not. So this is a journey. It's a journey for all of us. Just because you go to seminary does not necessarily mean you automatically become um, theologically astute or uh, experientially astute. And I will close with a quote just so that you, there is someone who got this. And uh, he's one of my favorite authors and his name is A.W. Tozer. And in a book called The Divine Conquest, Tozer said this, Real faith must always mean more than passive acceptance. It dare mean nothing less than surrender of our doomed Adamic nature to a merciful end upon the cross. That is, we own God's just sentence against our unlovely flesh and admit his right to end its unlovely career. We reckon ourselves to have been crucified with Christ and to have risen again in newness of life. Where such faith is, 
God will always work in line with our reckoning. Then begins the divine conquest of our lives. This God accomplishes by an effective seizing upon a sharp love-impelled invasion of our natures. When he has overpowered our resistance, he binds us with cords of love and draws us to himself. There, faint with his loveliness, we lie conquered and thank God again and again for the blessed conquest. I'd like for us uh, to stand. God is thick in this place right now. He has been since worship. And so I just want to pray for God to do whatever he feels like doing today. So, Holy Spirit, come. Manifest yourself among your people. each one in exactly the way that they need today. Lord, I pray that you would bring revelation. I pray that you would speak directly to the hearts of all who are here. So I invite you now to just remain as you are, or you can sit if that's more comfortable to you. And just stay in this moment, in this feeling of expectancy of what God may choose to do today. Our service is ended and so if you need to go you're free to go you're welcome to stay and I would strongly recommend that if God is working on you right now don't go teachers will bring the kids over but if God is doing something right now just stay with that feeling stay with what he's doing listen to what he might be saying
pray your blessing on all of these people, Lord.